Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. So let's bring in now Jeff McDonald of the San Antonio Express News. Excited to have a, a Spurs expert on a, an intractable franchise. But Jeff is going to tell us everything that we need to know about the 2019-20 San Antonio Spurs. So the place I wanted to start this year, Jeff, is just talk about how this team did it last year you know i mean they had that 11 and 14 start it looked like the post Kawhi era was going to be a disaster they couldn't score the defense struggled all year and then all of a sudden this team became one of the best offenses in the nba how did they do that um yeah they just kind of got it together at the right time and i think um you know what i always tell people about the spurs they always ask me like how you know how do you think the spurs are going to do this year or whatever it's always just like a little better than you think whatever you think <laughs> it's just going to be a little bit better whether you think they're going to win 35 games they'll win 42 if you think they're going to be uh you know in the playoff mix they win the title like that kind of thing so i, I think and a lot of that goes to pop and just kind of the culture and system he's put in place but yeah that the the offense really took control and they they also i mean they they were pretty as you mentioned pretty mediocre defensively um for a good chunk of that year but there was uh, like a stretch um right when it looked like things were dark like oh like they they lost like three games by 30 points in the span yeah. of a week and you thought this team there's i mean this was like in december and you thought this team is just they're going nowhere yeah like, this is I, it. I mean this good teams don't streak. lose a bunch of games in a row by 30 points like that yeah. just doesn't happen almost 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 immediately after that, they went on this just crazy hot stretch uh, defensively where they it was about three weeks long, maybe a month, where they were actually playing pretty good defense. And I think that righted the ship enough for them to at least hold on to, you know, that, that bottom, you know, that seven seed, the bottom of the playoff run. So it was, um, you know, offensively, they, they had some pieces, they've got some pieces, and it was just a matter of getting the defense to a point where it could be, it could help you. I mean, it could help you for a while. It was, it, it didn't last. Like by the time they got to April, they were pretty mediocre defensively again. But they were just good enough defensively for just long enough to win enough games to get seventh in the West. Yeah, I, I think the other thing to me that was really interesting about this team was if you look at some of the net ratings for their players. It was really the bench that carried them in terms of the performance that Bertans, yeah. Bellinelli, Patty Mills kind of centered unit when the starters with DeRozan and Aldridge on the floor, I think to, with those guys on the floor together, they were negative. It's very rare that you'll see, you know, a 48 win team where you have your two best players having negative net rate. Yeah. The, um, the bench, you know, people, people still pine for those beautiful game spurs from 2014. The bench is where you see sort of the uh, remnants of that still. They're, they're still, um, you know, playing that style, that drive and kick. Um, the Spurs 
famously just don't shoot a lot of threes, but the threes they do get for the most part are coming from those bench guys, Patty Mills, Bellinelli, um, those those type of guys. And uh, yeah, like I remember, I can't remember who it was. Somebody from an opposing team last year said, you know, we we were playing even with their starters for a while, and then their bench came in and just feeble balled us. <laughs> and that's kind of that's kind of how they how that group plays. But yeah, it is it, it is interesting, and it's, it says something about the Spurs bench. It also says something about that starting unit. I mean, that they, that that starting unit that they had last year is not going to be great defensively if you just look at the personnel. And you know, it's not uh, it's not built to be an offensive juggernaut in 2019. There's just very little, outside of Bryn Forbes, there's very little three-point shooting on that offensive unit, and that's sort of going to be interesting to see. And we'll probably talk about this later, um, you know, how they um, rearrange things now that DeJounte Murray's back, and he's going to be your starting point guard. And that's going to boost your defense, yeah. you would imagine. He's, he's a guy that they believe can, can be the guy that guards the other team's best swing player. Uh, on a night-to-night basis, but what does it do for for your offense? Because it's certainly not going to help in terms of spreading it at all because he's just not a guy that's going to shoot, take, or make a lot of three-pointers. I mean, they're getting to the point, well, again, we'll, we can talk about this more later, but with Murray, they're getting to the point where, like, he, if we can just get him confident in his 18-footer, that will, that will, that's kind of the step we're at right now. Yeah. So um, that's going to be fascinating how they, because they want, how they integrate him and does it boost the defense enough to, um, mitigate the effects it might have on your floor spreading. Offense. Yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot about that uh, as well and looking forward to talking about that more. I, last point I, I want to talk about for last year, you mentioned the, the shot distribution run. I mean, and that's part again of what made me think, all right, 11 and 14, these guys are sunk. You looked at their shot distribution and, you know, more mid range, less at the rim, less from three in terms of the shot distribution, but they made up for that by just the ball going in at basically best in the NBA range from just about every range and you know DeRozan and Aldridge for their flaws in terms of their shot distribution are some of the better mid-range shooters in the NBA the guys when they did take threes you know they're shooting like 40 percent even if it's a, a low overall number and then at the rim they, they shot a great percentage uh, as well so it was it, it was not a you know the weirdest profiles that we've ever seen basically from a top five offense and so what I wanted to ask you is do you think that that was fluky last year uh, and you know someone like me frankly kind of thinks that it is or is that something where it's like no these guys are all actually that good as shooters and that that could continue even into this season aside from murray who, who you mentioned uh could i can i cop out and say probably somewhere in between that uh that's answers? that's pretty much I mean, probably the best answer to like 97 percent of prediction <laughs> <laughs> questions actually so yes right yeah, yeah i mean you're 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 right like the the way the nba works now the way everybody else is doing it you look at their shot charts and you're like, this is a bad offense, but somehow they mid range their way into a top five offense. And can they, I mean, and it, that, that, like you said, that is so wild. That is so kind of in, incredible, like meaning not credible, like hard to believe that it is difficult to see them reproducing at that level. That said, that is how they're built. And those are the guys they have. And they do have some of the best mid-range shooters in the world. So it should stand to reason they'd be pretty good at it. You know, so I, there's just, I don't know. I, I, it's hard to, it's hard to predict and it's hard to, you don't want to doubt them because they seem to know what they're doing. Yeah. Spurs generally on a year to year basis. And at the same time, there, there just seem to be so many games where they're just getting the three balled out of the gym and it's hard, hard to get that turned. I mean, you know, you, you, it, I think where, where it really shows itself, and maybe this is just perception, my perception of it is when you start to get behind, you're down 10, you're down 15, it's hard to just two ball your way yeah. back into the game. So a lot of times, 
And maybe that's why that combined with some pretty shoddy defense, that three-point disparity combined with some shoddy defense is how you get beat by 30 points in three games in the span of a week. Is You just can't get that turn because the other team is, even when you're trying to come back, you're trading threes for two. Yeah, no. That's... But that's, that said, it, it, it worked. It, I mean, they had a top five, they had a top five, top, top five, top six offense last year. And if they can be top ten again that way, I, I you know I, I think they they probably can. Yeah, so I I think it, the last thing I want to ask you about, about last year, actually, no, I lied. There's there's two more things, but one of them is like if you talk to people around the team, did it seem like they have this master plan that they're like they're gonna just like only take threes that are really good threes, and we're not gonna eschew the mid range like everyone else? Like, do you think there's this idea that like yes, like this is part of our plan? We this is something that we're doing, or did it just like did, does Greg? popovich actually think like no this is the way to do it and they perhaps have some analytics that say hey with this personnel we should be doing it uh because you know everyone else is going with the three like they're kind of zagging right now or is it just ah, eh, you know these are the guys we have this is just what we're going to do or is popovich's strategy even you know something that he you know it's maybe is it not that complicated and that's just you know kind of what these guys want to do and that's what the shots the plays that he's drawing up but i guess how calculated is the way that they played offensively last year is, is uh, a better way of asking that question it's it's sort of a chicken and egg thing right like like is it the personnel that dictates how you play or is it how you play that dictates the personnel i mean i think if in some wild universe when the Spurs had to trade Kawhi Leonard, they had been able to trade him for Steph Curry. I think they'd take a lot yeah. more threes. But the guy they traded him for was DeMar DeRozan, who doesn't who doesn't shoot a lot of threes and is sort of the mid range king in the NBA. So that and, and you're already adding him to a you know a roster that has Lamarcus Aldridge on it, who's also a mid or mid range guy, guy a lot of the times, and Rudy Gay, who has a lot of that in his game. When those are your three top scorers, you're just naturally going to be mid range heavy. But I do think there is something to the idea of because every offense in the NBA today is geared towards generating threes, every defense in the NBA is now geared for, for stopping the other team from generating threes. And in theory, that should open up that mid-range area. That's, that's the kind of the underbelly now where, where teams will give you that shot. So if you have the best guys in the world that can make the shot that everybody's giving you, I mean, it stands to reason that's, that's, that's the way you can go. So I do think there's some chicken in the egg kind of thing going there. I think they would like to shoot more threes, but they don't want to force them. And, you know, and I think, to, I mean, I think absolutely DeMar DeRozan needs to attempt more three-point shooters, three-point shots than he did last year. I think he took 40-something. I mean, and he took a lot more than that the year before in Toronto. I know that's not his game. I know that's not his, you know, how he, how he butters his bread, but I just think he has to be a little bit more of a threat out there. I mean, he here's your stat that people probably don't. He has not made a three-point basket in the calendar year of 2019. <laughs> has not, and he's and he's the best scorer on your team. Yeah, he was he so, was I mean, seven of so forty-five I think that, I think, from three-point range last year. Yeah, I mean, so I think I think they would like to take more threes, but it, but you don't want to force too much of that when the other stuff is. It's a it's a hard. Like when you don't have the best, when you don't have Steph Curry, when you don't have James Harden, even when you don't have Kawhi Leonard, it's a it's it, the, the equation. The questions become a lot harder than when you yeah. Do. And Lamarcus, I mean, he was ten out of forty-two. His first couple San Antonio years, he actually was shooting the three more than he had in Portland. But then, yeah, yeah. But then and and Pop has actually said numerous times. I mean, recently, like yeah, we would like Lamarcus to take more three pointers. We want him to. We want him to that to be 
part of his game. Again, not he doesn't have to be, um, you know, staff up there jacking from 40 feet and taking 12 a game, but that corner three is some, uh, you know, that, that, that pick and pop three, that corner three is, is something they would like him to, um, you know, take a look at a couple of times. So it's not that they're just folding their arms and saying, we are adamantly not going to take a bunch of three point shots, but part of it is doing what you do efficiently. And as we mentioned earlier, they, they took the fewest number of threes in, in the league last year, I believe, but they ended with the highest percentage. Yeah. And I, I don't, I think they would like to get, I think they would like to get the number of attempts up, but the percentage is really what they're, what they're, what they're looking at yeah uh, last year 39.2 percent from downtown and Bryn Forbes 43 percent Rudy Gay 40 Bertans was 43 percent as well we'll hit on that situation in a second so the last question I want to ask you about last year is what were the biggest reasons that they ended up losing to Denver they did perhaps outperform expectations you know the seven C going against the two C but only a a six win win differential between them so not you know a huge difference in quality there I think Denver was you know a little deer in the headlights early on in that series but uh why was was it that they ultimately succumbed and have they done anything about addressing those weaknesses this year yeah you know in a seven game series the the margin is so small i mean you can just look at you can look at just one two three you know five possessions in the whole series that cost you the series when when you're the team that loses that series i mean i i, I think a lot of it a lot of it comes down just defensively like when when you in, in the playoffs, when the going gets tough, you got to be able to get stops. And I, don't, I mean, I just in that game seven, the Spurs weren't really able to do it. And I think, I think another thing is you kind of mentioned it earlier when they had a chance to really um, land some knockout blows would be early in that series when you're when you're the, the team that's got the, the more veteran team, the team that's got the playoff experience, and you're going up against. A team that that I think I mean I, I, people will agree with me. I think Denver is wildly talented, but they had not been none of their best players had been in that situation before. And then you go into Denver and take Game One. Um, you really had a chance to grab that series and end it early. I think if you can, I mean I don't expect you to win both games in Denver, but if you come back home and win both, and then you you're up three one, I think you have a chance to win that series. And I just it just got it just they couldn't defend home court. They're just not consistent. Um, and when you def- when you depend so much on your offense, you're good, you're going to be inconsistent. You just are. I mean, yeah. that's, and especially in the playoffs when teams are going to defend you a little bit better, you've got to have that defensive backbone to sort of be able to grind out some games. And this is just not a team that it was really great at grinding out games. And I, maybe and maybe that's a uh, I don't want mental thing is not what I mean, but that's kind of what I mean. You know yeah. what I mean? It just it, it's. These aren't the Tim Duncan, Mono Ginobili, Tony Parker Spurs that are just gonna. If you're if you're close with them in the end of a playoff game and they've got the experience edge on you, they are going to execute you to death and you're going to lose. That's not this team. I mean, they just don't have that. I mean, they don't have that track record. And they don't have that mental makeup. So I think uh, I, I think you have to be able to rely on your defense in that situation. And that the Spurs just don't, didn't have the goods. I mean, I think it's a that's a lot of talking yeah. to say i just think denver was a bit yeah. better no i i, I mean <laughs> i agree with you. i think i'd pick denver and, <laughs> but yeah. those are reasons and, and can they address some of that i mean they can try to be better defensively um their their personnel wise they're going to have better defenders um this year i mean if you think about it the summer before last they lost Kawhi leonard they lost danny green they lost um um kyle anderson and then in the preseason they lost Dejounte murray 
those are your four best perimeter defenders off the team the yeah. year before, all gone. And then you then the next guy in line would probably been Derek White, and he was hurt to start the season last year. So they just didn't have the personnel. Like the, the, the fact that they didn't give up 150 points a game is almost <laughs> amazing for a while there. Yeah. <laughs> they just didn't have the personnel. And you almost you want to guard against – I mean, DeJounte Murray is a great defensive player. He was the youngest guy ever to make a, a, an all-defensive team in his second year. Um, but you don't want to make him into the savior either. Like, oh, well, they got DeJounte Murray now. They're going to be a top-10 defense again. I don't know if that's in the cards for them. But they should be better defensively. And I think if they're fortunate enough to get into a playoff situation, I think that will serve them a little bit better to have guys that can stop the other team from scoring. That's kind of an important uh, aspect of the game when you get to the postseason. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said there. I mean, I think you know, if I had to unpack it, I think defensively, DeRozan, you know, although he's improved his effort level a lot from early in his career, it's just so hard to structurally build a defense around him because you yeah. know, he can't, against Denver is a perfect example. He could couldn't really play the one or guard the one or the two there because those guys are going to fly off those handoffs from Jokic and he couldn't stay with those guys so now you have to play DeRozan at the three so you're get he's you know kind of small for a three he's not really like a, a wing mm-hmm. stopper you're going to be smaller in the backcourt it, now that you have to do that you know you can't play Rudy Gay the three he's got to be the four now so that kind of it, it kind of just pushes everything down the spectrum for you defensively and then you know DeRozan and Aldridge DeRozan more so than Aldridge to me are just very matchup dependent right I think DeRozan really kills average to bad defense he's just got his size he's going to get to mm-hmm. a spot he'll mm-hmm. get guys in the air he's going to get to the foul line but if you just have a guy who's like a real wing stopper uh, who you know is going to be able to stay down can contest with length that's not going to let him you know get knocked backwards by that shoulder as DeRozan gets in the mid-range you know I think DeRozan can look pretty average so it, yeah ultimately I think you know this this team does kind of top out in terms of of talent so uh let's talk about this year's team now i, I guess um and yeah well it's very yeah. similar so <laughs> we've already sort of laid yeah. the groundwork but um well well and so obviously murray is, is coming back we started talking about him a little bit so is that written in stone he's going to be the starter that seems to be the 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 what they would like to do that's the way they've, they've played um both preseason games so far i, I think it makes it makes some sense um uh, like again, over 82 games, things can change a lot. Um, but I think the plan is, yeah, Murray is your starting point. Well, and so then to me, uh, like I, I agree. I mean, I think he showed a lot of promise a couple of years ago. You know, they don't want him to lose his position because of the ACL. It's been about a, a year now, so he should hopefully be pretty close to, to back. And, and you know, he's a big part of their future. But then what happens at the two and the three? Obviously, DeRozan is going to start at one of those spots. But which one? And then who takes the the other spot? Here's what they've been doing for two preseason games, and I don't, I, you know, that right. doesn't mean that's what they're going to be doing two weeks from now when the season opens. But uh, I mean, it, it, look, it's a lot like what Pop was doing last year, so I think there's a lot of credence to be to think this is how they kind of would like to start the year. But it's been Murray at the one. They keep Brent Forbes in there at the two because you have to have yeah. someone on the floor who can make a three-point shot. Uh, DeRozan is still the three, and then they've been starting the, the, the twin bigs in Lamarcus Aldridge and Jakob Pertl. And I, I don't know how long that lasts. I know Pop. Stuck with that. I mean, Pop started last season with Rudy Gay at the four in the starting lineup. By by the end, when he sort of 
building for the playoffs, it was Pirtle and Aldridge, Twin Towers. Yeah. Again, digging where everybody else is zagging. And he was pretty, unless the matchup just would not let him do that, and there were a couple um, down the stretch, that was his starting five. And that seems to be the way they're leaning at this point. Now, that, that could certainly change. He could certainly see some things um, that, that, as the season goes on, that, that leads him to change that. And what that does is it moves Derek White, who had a good year last year. It's a breakout. It's a breakout for him, I think, by the end of the year. He seemed really confident. That moves him to the bench, and I, he's sort of like, I mean, it's hard to say this, but he's sort of the Manu Ginobili yeah. role where he's the guy that's going to generate. He's, he's a guy that's probably good enough to start for you if, if, if the configuration had made sense, but he's, you're bringing him off the bench, and he's going to sort of be the guy that play makes off the bench. And, you know, it's not gone great uh, so far this preseason. Again, just two games, but Derek's like one of 13 from the floor yeah. in those two games, so it hasn't gone super swell for him so far, but I think he'll get it together. And I think I think you'll see a lot of closing lineups where they want to play um, Murray and White together just to get stops. Because as I mentioned, Murray is is an all defensive team member already. And White's a guy that's probably just a tier below that. I mean, he was getting at least getting votes for all defensive teams. So I think that's a pretty good defensive backcourt and you can play it together. And I think you will see it play together a lot, but I I don't know if you can start it that way. If, if, I mean, it's, if you're going to start those two in the backcourt, you've got to figure out another way to get shooting on the floor to start the game. And so right now what they're doing is not starting white and starting Forbes and that's your shooting. And yeah, I don't know if that's going to be enough, yeah. but we'll, no. we'll, you know, because we'll you've got, I mean, okay, you might have Murray, but uh, Forbes and DeRozan together, like that's a tough group to have defensively. And then especially if you're going with right. the two bigs, it, the shooting is really limited as well. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think, you know, going with the two bigs, if you want to go to that configuration to start generally the, uh, what research has shown is a lot of teams go with more traditional size for kind of the first six minutes of each half and then you know they play small the rest of the way and so maybe we yeah and purtle yeah. i think is an, yeah go ahead and sorry. That's, that's that's sort of how it played out a lot of last year so people look at purtle started more or less the last 25 games or so but it was a lot of him playing six minutes and then rudy gaze your second big for a lot of the rest of the time or or that last year would have been davis sometimes it was davis bertons is the other big for a big poor push of the time so what you're saying kind of plays out it's sort of that's who starts but it's almost like a placeholder starting yeah. lineup and then once you get in the guts of the game it's all scrambled yeah the observation that i had about te- this team is like they almost have like three teams in one right you've got the young guys mm-hmm. you got Dejounte murray Derek white lonnie walker who, who had a really impressive summer league maybe you could throw purtle in there like as those those guys kind of being their four core players for the future maybe kelton johnson can emerge into that i, I wouldn't expect him to play that much this year but i thought he showed a few things in summer league uh Sabinich maybe you know whichever those young guys emerge then you've got the old spurs you got patty mills and marco bellinelli bertans was like kind of part of that although obviously there was that fiasco this summer he he's gone now but maybe jamari mm-hmm. carroll you know who played in atlanta under bud you know, can kind of fit seamlessly into the bertans role and then you've got DeRozan and Alters you know and it's really it's just going to be fascinating to me that and maybe Rudy Gay kind of falls into that category too kind of your mid-range scorer type of guys who are vets and so the way that Popovich is going to mix all of these guys together when you know those guys don't necessarily all fit together uh they don't play the same way I I think that's going to be maybe the biggest question for me of whether he can find groups that are really going to work this year I mean it was sort of the same last year like you watch them play and you're like sometimes it's like I don't know what this team wants to be i don't know who they want to be how they want to play 
And then there's a reason for it, and it's what you just mentioned. It's because they're they're they've got two or three different different units, different different teams that play completely different ways, and it's hard to mix and match them. Uh, it's because, I mean, it's it, look, it's a team that is in flux, in transition. It's a transition team, and they had to start that transition, or if you want to call it a rebuild, call it a rebuild. They had to start that earlier than they ever expected because of the the Kawhi Leonard situation, and you can only sort of lean on that as as an excuse for a while, but it is kind of a big thing when the guy that you have were building your whole foundation on for, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the next 10 years all of a sudden is, is ripped out from underneath you. And where do you go from there? What do you do? So, I mean, you know, it's sort of been like if, um, you know, if, if somewhere in the middle there, Tim Duncan had been, you know, had decided he wanted to leave and trade somewhere else and you yeah. weren't planning on that. And now what do you do? That's sort of the situation they're in. So you've got a team that is sort of this, mix of new and old, new style, old style. And, and then, I mean, they're going to have to, tr- eventually they're going to have to transition away from those older players eventually and be something entirely brand new. But right now you're sort of seeing the, uh, the growing pains or the, when it's all mixed, when it's still mixed together. So it's, it's sort of like, I don't know, seeing that, that primordial being that's like right in the middle of evolution, <laughs> you know, like the caveman, just not quite fully formed yet. That's kind of what you're looking at. And some nights it can be pretty ugly. I mean, when you're playing a team that's playing, when you're playing a good team that's been together for a while and knows what it's doing, it can it can get pretty ugly on them pretty fast. And then there's some nights, there, there's some stretches where everything seems to click and you watch something like they look like a pretty decent ball yeah. team there for a while. So, and that's, they're just going to be inconsistent. I don't know that that consistency is really going to be their hallmark again this yeah. year either. I think you're going to, it's going to be a, a, uh, a year that is similar to what you saw last year, maybe a little bit more consistent if they can defend more consistently. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's really the biggest hope for this group uh, to improve potentially is you know we keep the the defense uh, can improve and and the offense kind of stays pretty much uh, the same. So yeah, I mean, and I think you know obviously the Leonard trade they did not prioritize youth necessarily out of that and you know understandable right. with Popovich there I mean to really he doesn't want to go through a full rebuild and it, he had confidence in himself correctly so that they could still make it into the playoffs with the group uh, that they had assembled and so you know I think they owe it to Pop to not give him some crap team for the last couple of years uh, of his career let him actually have a, a, a few wins uh, and not have to drink too much wine after the game <laughs> to to uh to, yeah, to kind right. of forget about things <laughs> Um, how's Murray look? Just give me like th- 30 seconds uh, on where he's at in his recovery to you and, and what you saw from him in the first two preseason games. I mean, he's still early in it. So it's, it's a lot of just regaining confidence and rhythm and, um, just remembering how to, how to play. I mean, you know, he's, you can go through the rehab, you can do the summer workouts. You can, he was doing open gyms by the end, but nothing, nothing compares to getting out there on the floor in an actual game and, and playing against competition. I think he's still, you're still, I don't want to say tentative, but it's just like, he's not up to speed yet. I don't think, I think the best thing you can say for his uh, couple of preseason games is like form wise, his jumper yeah. looks good. And that's going to be very important for the first for him to be able to knock that down. It doesn't always go in in these, in these two games, but it looks good. And he's, shooting well from the foul line, which is kind of a sign that the, the form is there. Um, but the, apart from that, the best thing is, like, when he's fallen down, he's gotten yeah. back up, and he's starting to realize that, yeah, his knee is going to support him and hold on to him. And it's not really – he's a guy that's got to play balls out in order to be effective, and it's not really going to affect his ability to play balls out, either mentally or physically. So I think those are the, the – in the short sample size, the two games – I think those are the two positive takeaways. But he's he's he doesn't look to me like where he was when he went down. Yeah. Like I, I think he's still 
kind of having to work himself into sort of a basketball shape and a basketball rhythm. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes sense. I think people kind of forget, too, you know, there's a lot of hype about him coming into last year that, you know, he is one of the worst offensive point guards from a starting position in basketball because of the lack of shooting. And, you know, so he's got to really be that elite defender. I think a lot of times, for my observation, the defense actually takes a little bit longer to come back for some of these guys than the offense, where, you know, you just have to react. That's interesting. And you're kind of, you know, just as, as a player, you're normally like, okay, I'm working out by myself like your offense can get ahead of your defense whereas really getting back to game speed and reacting but yeah so so i think like he is a little bit of a concern for me and i don't think i mean i think they need to play him you know because of of his importance to the organization going forward but you know i'm not sure that he's going to play at a starter level right away here especially when you consider what you know some of his big weaknesses were even before the injury and and people are like okay well he's going to just come back right at the same level he was with the injury and then he's going to continue improving you know i don't think it's it's quite that simple from my standpoint so um yeah yeah i think that i think that's all fair i think that's all fair i I think you just look and hope for him to um progress week by week to where he's sort of back to where you thought he was going to be you know as you get a few months into this thing but i think you're right to expecting him to start the season kind of full tilt is is probably um overly optimistic all right so uh, i know you gotta get going here but one one more quick question before we get into some predictions um I think Lonnie Walker plays much this year. Well, you sound like every Spurs fan on my Twitter. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not saying, no, right we got to play him right now. But, uh, I, I mean, because his I, path is like, difficult I, and his fit is difficult, uh, as with so many guys on this roster. But he looked really good. I feel like there's definitely, I feel like there's a very, there's a, definitely a push from within the within the staff um, and within the team to find find ways to get him in the game. I don't know that Pops there yet right now, two games in the preseason. I mean, he's only, they've only played one game where they've had all everybody you would think could possibly be in their rotation. That was in Miami. And when they played that game in Miami, Pop basically stuck with guys that played last year, except for Murray. But like, it, So what I'm saying is they were bringing Marco Bellinelli in instead of Lonnie Walker. It seems like Lonnie, was, was, at least in that game, was still behind Marco on the depth chart. So if the season started right now, I don't know how much time Lonnie Walker gets, but it seems like that has to be something that happens as the season goes along. I just think... Uh, I mean, you're, you're not winning a title here, yeah. so I think this needs to be a year of growth and development for some of those guys. And, and he's a guy that they really see as a very uh, integral part of their future, whether it's the future of this season or down the road. But I think he's got to get some game reps. I mean, he's he's, he's got between him and Murray, those are the two guys with with just sort of the athleticism that you need at the NBA level on this team. Like, if you're not going to have, like I talked about earlier, like the Tim, Tony, and Manu kind of savvy vet corporate knowledge guys that's how the Spurs won yeah. for so long yeah we can't dunk no nobody on this team can dunk but we can just out execute you if you're going to lose that advantage you're going to have to have some athletic type guys to keep up and I think I think Lonnie Walker like he didn't get, he didn't get much run last year he was hurt in the preseason so I mean when you when you miss training camp you're when you're a rookie and you miss training camp for pop you're pretty much <laughs> like he's yeah. just not going to get to a point where in his mind, you just missed too many, too much learning. Unless you're like Kawhi Leonard or someone, like you just can't, you know, you just can't keep that guy off the floor. You're pretty much relegated to the G League, and that's sort of what happened to Lonnie last year. Yeah, um, I mean, he wasn't healthy year, until like I'm, mid-December I'm, I'm, last year. Yeah, so. yeah. Like I'm starting starting to join the chorus of he needs he needs a spot. Like you need to be able to play him on a regular basis. I don't know that the I don't know if the head coach agrees with me at this point, but um, we'll see how the season goes along. I, I also think a lot of these a lot of times these things they do have a lot of yeah. guards, like they're very guard heavy. A lot of guards you'd like to play. A lot of times these things just have a way of working themselves out over the course of the season. People get hurt, people get injured, people get nights yeah. off, and so I I think it'll work itself out. 
but to, to, to answer your question earlier, I think there is sort of a push to get to, to carve a role for, for Lonnie Walker or to allow him to earn a role, uh, to give him a chance to earn a role. I just don't see how I'm, – I'm not, I'm not sure of the specifics of how that's going to look right at this point. Yeah, and you know, it's also – I mean, DeRozan is one, but then the three young guys, Murray, White, and Walker, you know, Walker might be the best shooting of those three uh, – three or four four guys that i mentioned but i mean to have four guys who kind of are best with the ball and don't shoot three pointers yeah. I and mean, it's just it i mean you understand like a lonnie walker might be better than than bellinelli in theory you know if you just line them up a, on a court and you say who would you rather have on, on a normal team uh yeah. but you, i mean you yeah. need bellinelli shooting perhaps, different skills yeah. Though. so yeah yeah it's yeah. Uh, and i don't know this this is part of why I, I felt like if they could trade DeRozan, maybe they should because they got to figure out what they have in some of these young guys um and but you know that's that's gonna be tough to do i'm really interested to see if there's an extension oh, that's a, a a subject for another time um all right so uh let's do some predictions here for the 2019-20 spurs all right i'm terrible at them but i'll give it a shot <laughs> no well actually uh two years ago you were a lot closer to being right than i was uh although neither of us knew that Kawhi was gonna miss the whole year at the time at that time but uh yeah i mean i think you're you're actually i was like oh why won't they just win 60 games i think you picked 55 you ended up being a, a, a lot closer than i was um so last year the 48 and 34 point differential of a 46 win team they were number five in offense as you mentioned defensively they were at 20th in the nba uh so a, a little bit below average there so uh, what are you thinking about uh, for this year uh, as far as number of wins I, I think they could actually be a better basketball team throughout the, the course of the season, but win fewer games than they won last year. So I'll take it at, uh, and you know, this is me just throwing darts, but I'll, I think I'll take 46. And I, that's mostly due, like, like I think they'll be a better, I think they will be a better basketball team if everybody's healthy than they were last year. I just think the, the West is impossible, and you're just gonna, yeah, you, you have to be, you have to be really good to win 50 games as a Western Conference team this year. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with 46. Yeah. So yeah, I, mean, I think that's that's pretty reasonable considering that was their their point differential last year. Um, I don't buy that the offense can continue. I mean, I, I, now I was saying that all last year, and I was wrong. So uh, to mm-hmm. rely on that at your peril. Um, but you know, I think Murray is actually going to hurt their offense a little bit uh, for the reasons that, that we talked about. And I'm just not sure everyone can quite shoot that well. And then also, I think they're really going to miss Bertans offensively uh, as well. That, mm-hmm. I mean, that he was the guy who really came in, gave them the spacing on the second unit, shooting threes from deep at 43%. I mean, we haven't mentioned Damari Carroll at all. I think he is going to help them. I think he can help them get better defensively. Uh, you know, he gives them really the one three and D type of wing, even at, you know, now being in his early 30 i think this is going to be his age 32 33 seasons so you know how much does he have mm-hmm. left there i'm not sure and you know he can kind of get to the foul line a little bit too he's, he's got a lot of the veteran tricks so i don't know how much he's going to play and whether he's going to be the backup three or four but i think he can help them um but so I think they're going to be worse offensively. I don't think they're going to have that same bench unit magic as last year. And, you know, this, the starters, I think will be kind of about the same, maybe a little worse because they got Murray now, who's not as good of a shooter. So, uh, but I think they're going to be a lot better defensively. So I think that can mitigate that somewhat. You know, yeah. I, I mean, as I look at them, yeah. uh, you know, I think Bell and will probably play less. Um, and, you know, maybe even DeRozan will play a little bit less. I mean, not that he's going to have some small role, but maybe, you know, he plays 34 minutes a game or something like that or 32 minutes a game so they can get some of these guys a little more time 
And Murray, I think it definitely helps them. I don't think he's going to be quite at the all defense level to start the year, but probably by the end of the year, he is. They play the two bigs together, which helps your defense a lot as well. So, you know, I think they can take a step up to being above average defense, but I kind of have them dropping back into like, you know, the 10 range or so offensively. So I think if they were 46 wins last year, you know, I'd probably put them for 44, 45 this year you know, in that range. I guess I'm going to go. I'm going to go 45 wins for, for this group personally. Uh, much, much, much yeah, to say there so, to go one game different than you, but. <laughs> yeah, so much of their season this year is going to be what those young guys do. Cause we know what LaMarcus Aldridge is. We know what DeMar DeRozan is. It, it, they're pretty much, the, they're pretty much the same team they were last year, you know, give or, give or take, unless Derek White has a big year or, you know, DeJounte Murray becomes what they think he can become or Lonnie Walker comes out of nowhere and gives them something huge. Like it's a lot of yeah. what this team can be this year and really beyond this year is really based upon what that young core does. Like it doesn't, LaMarcus and and, and uh, DeRozan, they're not going to change the yeah. stripes. They are what they are, which is a very good team. They're a good foundation to, to build around, but if you're talking about being better than last year, it's gonna, the growth is going to come from those kids. Yeah, I, and I guess also we, I mean, it, this, this always happens that I don't t- talk about the stars that much on these shows because it's kind of everyone knows what they are and, and the other pieces are more yeah. interesting. But yeah. I could see Aldridge, I mean, this, this is going to be his age 34 season, played 81 games, 2,700 minutes last year, you know, above where he normally is in terms of efficiency. I could see him taking a little bit of a step back this year. I mean, I thought two years ago, That's yeah, so, so I think you know, he's he's held on to uh, his skill level. I mean, playing at a near all-star level uh, the last two years more than i expected but this has got to be the year there's a little bit of decline so that that might be part of why i uh project them to lose a little bit uh as well there uh on the offensive end so that that's another slight i mean i don't think he's gonna completely fall off a cliff but you know an incremental step back it seems reasonable to me and then you mentioned the guards you know i think any of them having a huge breakout offensively seems unlikely because they're just not necessarily being put in position to succeed to me right i mean like white walker those guys their best attribute is you know attacking off the pick and roll hard getting to the basket in theory that's where they could take the next step and this team just doesn't have the spacing really to play that way where they can attack so so i mean i think they could get better incrementally but i don't foresee just a massive offensive breakout from those guys when you're especially if they're in the starting lineup with in the case of murray they just have no spacing around them so i think that's kind of tough which is why you go 45 wins yeah no and and that's that i think is kind of the your your rule which uh you know it's kind of tough because that rule is self-fulfilling right like whatever you think add but then like you you then add those numbers but then whatever you think from there you have to add again like it's it's kind of funny with uh you know take that do that with a pop team but i think you know in terms of talent i think this team is pretty close to around 500 i think they're gonna be you know about about uh you know maybe a little bit yeah you know maybe a little bit better defensively but you know take a step back offensively so you know i could see them like kind of around 12th in each area uh but in terms of the talent and in terms of the fit you know i i would have be a little bit lower on them than that but obviously you know pop has this uh has this magic that i'm not going to totally discount um what do you see as the best case scenario for this group in in terms of wins best case Uh... Well, if I, if I guessed 46, I guess it's not that big of a stretch to say something goes crazy right and they get to 50. Yeah. You know, I, I, I again, I, that's best case. I don't, yeah. I really don't see them getting to 50 wins, but uh, I mean, let's be honest. That would, that would probably involve like 
some something going awry in other Western Conference markets yeah. where teams you think are going to be monsters aren't monsters, that sort of thing. Um, kind of what happened last year in Los Angeles, like the Lakers just ended up being just a bad team and LeBron wasn't even playing, and all of a sudden a, a game that might have been you might have been looking at as a tough one to win becomes a cupcake. Like if that happens, then I think that's the way the Spurs get to 50 wins, but that's definitely, like to me, a best-case sort of scenario yeah and i think you know maybe the way that happens is they they can repeat the offense from last year and with murray out there the defense yeah. you know gets into the gets into the top 10 but i i mean i think this is uh, i'm totally in agreement with you 50 is where i would go as well and it's it's interesting because this team you know normally when i do this oh their best case scenario is like seven eight nine wins higher than what we're talking about for their average yeah. but i just don't see the upside with this group because of some of the structural issues that we talked about and just the lack of you know just absolute top 15 type of talent in the nba you know you, you, the coaching and, and the system and and the defense in theory can only take you so far um right so yeah i mean and that's part of why i'm a little bit lower on them it's like okay if, if we're saying everything goes right they win 50 uh then it's hard to say that like the median outcome is you know be much higher than 45 um how about yeah. a, a worst case scenario i mean the worst case scenario uh and is is you just don't you just the wheels fall yeah. off. I mean, you know, maybe there's maybe just the wheels fall yeah. off. Maybe somebody, maybe DeRozan, an in, injury and someone, get traded. Yeah. yeah, maybe that could happen if if yeah. they don't if they start out yeah. poorly. I mean, I mean, the worst, yeah, the worst case is that playoff streak that you were um, you've been building since 1997 goes goes bye bye. I mean, that's the that's the worst case scenario, and that's that's not that's not very far out of the realm of possibility either. I mean, I think. Basically, what you're going to see from the Spurs this year is they're they're going to be in very much the same situation they were last year, which is they're probably one of about five or six teams fighting for the last two playoff spots in the Western Conference. And if 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 you can have a good year in some spots, and your and your coaching and preparation can can have you outlast those other four teams, and you get in there at seven or eight, or uh, if not, then that playoff streak is, is history. Yeah, no, I, I think 38 wins would be my uh, my worst case scenario. Yeah. There, missing the playoffs, obviously. Um, yeah, and I don't I don't really foresee a way in which they win a playoff round unless they just you know go up against a team that's injured in the first round or something because of just some of those issues we talked about from the Nuggets series last year where it's just they have a lot of things that you can really focus in on as a uh yeah yeah like from the seventh or eighth spot yeah. that's that's hard i mean i remember last year when the spurs were setting up to be seven or eight and you're looking at who's one or two what you're like you're going i mean i'm going, I'm going like you don't want to face the nuggets but if those out of the choices you have that's oh, yeah. probably the one you pick i mean that's the one you had a shot against and you got them to seven games but I just like I don't. Again, that's kind of the situation you're in when you're seven or eight in the Western Conference. Is you're kind of looking at some pretty bad options as far as the first round opponent goes. All right. Well, thanks, man. I I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, this is fantastic work. We keep up uh, with your Spurs coverage this year. Yeah, you can find me at expressnews.com. We got all kinds of stuff over there. Podcasts, like I'm sort of cheating on my own podcast to come over here, <laughs> and uh, newsletters and daily coverage. It's it's, uh, it's a trip. All right. Well, thank, thanks again. I appreciate it. And uh, happy to return the favor uh, to uh, on your podcast. Uh, not to invite myself on, but I am uh, I'm very available <laughs> as, as, All as right, I say. Sure thing. We'll be in touch. All right. Thanks again. So many wonder how it is that Greg Popovich can do it over and over again. We talked with Jeff McDowell just now uh, about that gets the Spurs to exceed expectations every year. But another similarly mysterious question occurred to me. Why traditional button-up shirts have to be so long and baggy? 
It's because they were never meant to be worn untucked. Untuck It is the brand that you've been looking for. These shirts are specifically designed to be worn untucked with no tucking or tailoring required. It actually fits your size and shape because they have more than 50 fit combinations. They look good on tall, short, slim, athletic, or more heavy set guys of all ages. They have their own stores or you can shop online. I was able to find something uh, that fit me at, at 6'6", so about 220 pounds. A lot of times, the uh, traditional button-down shirts to get the arms long enough would have to be too baggy in the torso. That was not the case uh, with these. I was able to find one uh, that worked for me. So you can either try one on in person at one of Untucket's 50 stores or go to untucket.com to get started. U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T, untucket.com, and enter that familiar promo code cap space that'll save you 20 percent on your first order they offer free shippings and returns and all orders in the united states and that cap space code again will get you 20 percent off and most importantly by entering that cap space code you let them know that you came from us all right time to talk a little cleveland cavaliers here with chris fedor now beat writer at cleveland.com and uh interested to get into these guys uh, not necessarily a new look team but you know a team that's probably been off the radar for a lot of people as they begin this rebuild and uh good to have you on chris appreciate it thanks nate always enjoy it man yeah so uh, i think the place to start uh, with these guys is talking a little bit about what they were last year as we're trying to project their performance surprisingly for a team that struggled as much as they did very little roster turnover obviously that's driven by the lack of flexibility being pretty close to the tax even after moving on from jr smith you're not going to pay the tax for a team like this especially the repeater tax that's still a legacy of the lebron james days so what they did last year i think has uh, some applicability for this year so uh how were these guys last year (laughs) (laughs) um i think jordan clarkson said it best uh on media day nate he said that there were three seasons in one and i feel like maybe there were four or five maybe even six seasons in one um it was it was a really really rough start they lost six in a row right off the rip they fire head coach ty lu kevin love gets injured in the first preseason game he of course is the most important player they have the best player they have the guy they couldn't afford to lose for any stretch of time um they had a number of different injuries throughout the course of the regular season tristan thompson missed some time larry nance jr missed time early on in the season there was some belief internally from the organization and some of the players that maybe possibly they were going to be able to compete for the playoffs part of that had to do with a mindset the other part of that had to do with the fact that they looked around the eastern conference and weren't all that impressed but yeah their over under was 30 last year right i mean it wasn't like or 30 and a half or something it wasn't like i mean i picked them to go under that but not by a ton so it was i'm it seems like it was probably a little bit of a surprise what a disaster it turned into and i think um it was right around mid-season maybe or a little bit before then nate where there was kind of an acceptance of who they were and what it was all about and i think once the players had that kind of acceptance of all right we have to find little things to hang on to that are going to matter moving into the future once they had that and they stopped entirely focusing on the win-loss record and they didn't have that kind of pressure on themselves um it was a more jovial locker room and they didn't really carry themselves like one of the worst teams in the nba i thought it was really interesting at points last year nate some of the guys just repeatedly talked about how 
difficult rebuilds are. And if you keep getting beaten over the head repeatedly by losses and by all these things that went wrong, and if you focus on those kinds of things, it was probably always going to make that season harder. And once they stopped focusing that way and they started saying, okay, little victories along the way, um, it was a lot different in terms of how those guys handled it and just the attitude around the team. Yeah, and... You know, I think the the fact that some of their rookies, you know, Colin Sexton played a lot better. I, I definitely want to really dig into that with you about how it was that he improved so much towards the, the end of the season and how sustainable that is in a little bit. But yeah, it, it does seem like they had this legacy. They had these proud vets who had been in the finals mm-hmm. and... I'm sure it was difficult for all of them. Obviously, it was difficult for Ty Lue. He didn't last very long, uh, in part because he, it seemed like he didn't want to get on board with the organizational idea of trying to rebuild it and develop young players uh, in that 0-6 start. So it's... Uh, it, but it does seem like now that there is kind of a, a feeling that they are getting younger. As you said, you know, I mean, someone like Jordan Clarkson who got, or, or Rodney Hood, who was there the first pass of the year, guys who got traded there with the idea that, yeah, now I'm finally on a winning team. And then LeBron leaves and it's right back to being on these kind of rebuilding teams that they'd always been on. Um, that was, that, that had to be difficult. I think that's, that's an interesting point there. Um, so the defense obviously was just a massive problem last yeah. year. I mean, basically, in terms of where they were in relation to the league, even in terms of where they were in relation to the number 29 defense, really one of the worst defenses of all time by just about any metric. Uh, why were they so bad? And what are the prospects for improvement this year? So I feel like you can break it down in different areas, Nate. And if you want to do that, fine, I get it. I think it just comes down to this, as simple as you can make it. They don't have a lot of quality individual defenders. Yeah, That's and, and they had an interim coach, too. And, you know, a coach in Ty Lue who wasn't necessarily a defensive specialist. So, yeah, I mean, they really, I guess that's true. There's, there's, you'd be hard-pressed to point to anyone on the team who is right. above average in their role. I, I just think there are only so many things that you can do when you're giving big minutes to Colin Sexton, who wasn't physically ready for all of the point guards that were thrown at him on a nightly basis. And there's only so much you can do when you're relying on big minutes from Jetty Osman, who was one of the worst defenders in the NBA last year. They didn't have rim protection behind those guys. They just, their best defensive player individually was probably David Nawaba. And then beyond that, it was probably Larry Nance Jr. But no rim protection, bad at the point of attack, uh, didn't have the quality defensive principles, didn't have the defensive awareness, and relying on a lot of young, um, poor defenders is going to add up to a 116.8 defensive rating. Um, And I just, I mean, you can can go through all the different numbers you want to, but when you don't have quality defenders what are you supposed to do yeah i mean that that is just like an an unbelievable number there and yeah i know larry drew was a voice of head coach and then he was <laughs> but re- real quickly actually because i haven't talked to you about this like what was what was that time like uh around the organization where he was uh you know it, it was seemed like he was gonna be the interim coach but he wanted more money and they didn't want to give it to him like it, just i mean 30 seconds i i gotta hear your perspective on, on that the ridiculousness of that time i mean everybody was wondering what does that even mean so the media members were asking what does that mean you're the voice and i think players were asking what does that mean he's calling himself the voice and i think people inside the organization in the front office were like what does that even mean nobody so that knew came what that, that came from meant. him right yes that yeah. came from him because or, he was or wasn't asked. i thought it was like wasn't it like a Woj report or something that like larry drew will continue as voice of head coach 
for the time being obviously the woods thing came from probably drew's representation but that was yeah that was just one of the the we whole literally asked him like, in in one of his press conferences i don't remember yeah. if it was a shoot around or if it was before a game or maybe it was even practice <laughs> about okay so you're the interim coach now and he stopped us he's like no 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 don't call me the interim coach i am the voice of the team and we were all like um what what does that even mean and I, I was, he didn't yeah. really explain what that meant he just didn't want the title interim because he didn't obviously he wanted everything that went with that first and those commitments from the organization before he would actually take on the title and allow people to call him the interim well and frankly from his perspective he was right to do that because he had no chance of being retained right after the season so and it also was going to be a miserable team so it's going to make him look bad in terms of like if he ever wanted to be a head coach in the nba again which he had been before and he was you know a high profile assistant um and so at least he's like all right if you're gonna do this like you better give me my money which you know it seemed like ultimately they did but yeah i mean whenever i think of that i think of him just like (laughs) holding a ventriloquist dummy with like that has like a hat and a whistle and a clipboard and like you know doing having the dummy like say all the stuff to the team and the media (laughs) (laughs) and he was so proud of coming up with the voice he just had this look on his face like oh yeah i came up with that something other than interim (laughs) i mean it's something that will always persist i mean we're here we are talking about it a a year later but god that it was uh yeah Uh, but uh uh, apparently the Cavs players did not respond defensively to being coached by a ventriloquist dummy so (laughs) as, as it turned out um so you think they have any chance of being better defensively this year i mean like i talked about most teams that are this bad have a ton of turnover and you just you don't expect to see that kind of an outlier two years in a row uh but because it's just naturally you you may have had bad luck mm-hmm. you just your personality is just gonna have turnover when you're that bad but they you know basically bringing back the same guys i mean is there any reason i think these guys would be better defensively than they were last year so one i think they're going to be coached better defensively nate and and i yeah. don't know what this is going to mean for the numbers but jb bickerstaff the associate head coach is going to be in charge of trying to fix this defense if he can um just make it respectable and when he was in memphis you know that was a top 10 defense and for half the season or whatever uh the final two months of the season they didn't have mark gasol as a defensive anchor so the Cavs have pointed all off season to what JB was able to do in Memphis, despite the number of injuries that they had, despite the moves that they made with the roster. And they think schematically he's going to put something in that's going to make the Cavs better. On top of that, the Cavs are really excited about John Henson and just having some kind of rim protection. Yeah. Look, he's not Rudy Gobert. I think everybody understands that. He's not Mark Gasol, but he's also not Tristan Thompson, right? He's also not not Larry Nance Jr. He's somebody who has blocked shots in the past. I mean, Miles Turner of the Indiana Pacers had more blocks himself than the Cavs did as a whole team last year, Nate. Oh, man. So think about that. They just did not have that interior last line of defense. Um, so I think they feel better about that. And I think the Cavs feel like a lot of stuff defensively, and I don't know if they were right on this, but they felt like a lot of stuff defensively that went wrong for them also tied into how poor they were on offense. And the Cavs feel like they're going to be a better offensive team with John Beeline in charge. And maybe because the offense gets better, there's not going to be as much on the defense. 
Yeah, that's a, I mean, uh, Danny, uh, my, my partner loves to talk uh, about feedback loops uh, and yep. yeah, I, I'm really interested to, uh, I, I guess the, their biggest addition other than Darius Garland, who we'll talk about is the aforementioned John Beeline. And I, I thought it was an interesting hire. We've seen some college coaches of late, especially guys with kind of the reputation of Beeline. Clearly he's been a good coach at Michigan, a good offensive coach there have success, but he's also 66 years old. And I thought it was an interesting choice for a rebuilding team to take a guy when there isn't much of a record of Mm -hmm. nba coaches beyond age 70 being effective you say hey we're trying to build something here but you know we probably just picked a coach who's got a shelf life of at most a a few years um so just if you want to comment on his hiring and how some of those factors i mentioned come into play here just your overall thoughts on it yeah so i think if you take age out of the equation everything pointed to somebody like john beeline yeah i totally agree with you so i think that's where people were caught off guard because they were like wait a minute 66 but if you look at the things that they wanted they wanted somebody who could put in a culture a culture that is going to be focused on the fundamentals and the little things and um, positivity and all that different kind of stuff like that's what he did he took over programs in college and he turned them into something that people thought they couldn't be like did anybody think he was going to be able to turn west virginia into what he did i don't know did people think that he was going to turn michigan into a national power on the basketball floor but he did that and i think the other thing is like this is a guy who has been around young kids his entire life and he takes these guys who sometimes nate aren't mcdonald's all americans they're not five stars sometimes they're two stars sometimes they're three stars and he turns them into first round picks Uh, uh, all all you need is uh nick stauskas number eight pick that's your there you go that's that's all you need right yeah mo wagner um who is the other one mitch mcgarry some of these other guys and and that's what the Cavs are going to be asking of this head coach yeah trey burke's another one you you need somebody who is going to be able to work in player development not demand the first overall pick or the second overall pick and take somebody like kevin porter jr who was the 30th overall pick and maybe turn him into something more than what you think he can be because that's what the Cavs are going to do it's not going to be through free agency it's probably not going to be through blockbuster trades yet it's going to be through the draft and who better to develop guys and maybe turn them into more than what you think they can become than john beeline who has been doing that for 40 years at whatever stop he's been at yeah uh and i'm interested to see what he can do with this group you mentioned jb biggerstaff they brought in he's uh, experienced uh, i thought he got that memphis team to play hard last year if he, he could do that again that would be a, a positive first step uh, for this group um the other big addition is the number five overall pick darius garland i was very complimentary of the Cavs for despite having colin sexton taking him as the best talent on the board not you know and you know maybe those guys can't play together i know they've talked about like damon cj colin was on chris haynes's yahoo show live when the pick was made he said all the right things we're gonna look like dame and cj but you know the reality is those guys are both point guard size but and so not being like oh we got to pass on garland because we have sexton whether it's he could supplant sexton or whether it's because you know those guys could play together or maybe you know sexton ends up being better than him who knows but to not just be like oh we got everything solved at, at point guard with sexton we're gonna just skip garland and yeah. go for someone lower ceiling uh you know i, I was impressed by that um, was there a party line that they're uh, espousing about the Garland and Sexton playing together at this point? 
Um, so I don't think they've determined that yet, but, but look, I think he came everybody. off the bench in the first game, right? The, he did. The, against he did. San, San Lorenzo, we're, we're recording this on Friday, so yep. they've only got one game under their belt right now. But John Beeline even said before that, Nate, don't read too much into what I do in terms of starting groups in the preseason, because he's going to continue to experiment. In fact, he's going to use a different starting lineup on Friday night against the Detroit Pistons than he did Monday night against San Lorenzo. So it's a lot of trial and error. And I think it has to be. And I think a big part of this regular season is going to be experimenting. Find out what works, what doesn't work. Find out what combinations work and which ones don't. See if you can find um, a spot where Colin and Darius can flourish with three other guys. Or maybe it's Darius flourishing with four other guys and Colin coming off the bench. So I just think it's going to be a lot of trial and error. And I think it's going to have to be. But at the same time, Nate, the Cavs need to know if the Colin-Darius backcourt um, can have some kind of success. They're not going to have every answer that they need this season, but they have to have some general idea about that. So I think John Beeline is going to give both of these guys every chance to succeed or fail together to make sure this backcourt is something that will work or won't work. And the only way that you really find that out is by playing them together. Yeah, it it seems that way. Uh, Where is Garland right now from a health standpoint is he like 100 percent full go because for those who don't remember mm-hmm. played only uh four games and a little bit of change at vanderbilt uh, suffered a, a meniscus injury had a surgery of some type uh, do you know what did he have the meniscus repair or was it like a, a trim is that something that's known so i don't believe that's known but i'm pretty sure that he had the repair and he's also had a cleanup since then Oh, so he had the repair like at some earlier time. Yeah. Or uh, so so he hasn't had two surgeries since last November. He's only had one, right? Right. Yeah. And then okay. There was a so cleanup after that. Okay. So yeah. So this uh, yeah. This off season. Oh wait. So so he had the initial surgery in November, and then he had another surgery this off season. Right. A cleanup. Yep. Ooh. That's not, that doesn't sound great at all. Uh, I hadn't heard that. I thought that he had just had the one surgery right afterwards. So sounds like maybe, I mean, like a lot of times when you get the repair, I think it has like about a 20% failure rate. So maybe that's what happened is that just, it failed and they had to clean up. I guess that's, that's speculation. Um, uh, but no, I, I, I hadn't heard that at all actually. Okay. So that's, that's, uh, that's not incredibly encouraging, um, for, uh, but but he is uh he's considered healthy now. I guess he played the other night. Yeah, um, beyond that, so this this off season, if you're talking about August and September, he didn't have any limitations. He didn't have any limitations coming into training camp, but then about a week before the veterans reported to camp, um, Garland started feeling soreness in his foot. Um so he missed a little portion of training camp early on. Uh, he didn't go five on five until about a week into training camp, but he was able yeah. to go full go um in the first preseason game against san lorenzo and there haven't been any setbacks in terms of more foot soreness or anything along those lines so look i think when it comes to anything injury related with the Cavs, they are going to be so cautious with everybody they're being cautious with dylan windler right now they were cautious in the very beginning even though it was minor with darius garland even though the scans didn't show anything with his foot they just they just want to protect these players 
as much as possible because of what this season really is all about. So what are the reports out of camp about how Garland is looking right now? Great. Absolutely yeah. great. Yeah. I mean, he does things on a daily basis that just make people say, wow. And you can see it. Um, he briefly played in the first preseason game, and you don't want to make too much of that because one, it's the preseason. Two, San Lorenzo has a grand total of zero NBA players. They might not have any G League caliber players on that yeah. roster either. But you could see in that plus all of the stuff that you were able to see in Vanderbilt in that short sample, he does things that the elite point guards in the NBA do. And that doesn't mean that he's going to be one, but shooting off the dribble, right? An ability to stop, start, change direction, understanding pace, um, operating out of the pick and roll, being able to play on the ball or off the ball. Like you can see why the Cavs have used the Damian Lillard comparisons when you watch him shoot and you watch him play. There are similarities. His first basket in the first preseason game, he used a Tristan Thompson screen, went right to left, stepped back. 31 feet splash so like those are the elements that he can bring and on top of that nate he's more of a pure point guard a playmaking point guard than colin sexton is who's more of a scoring guard yeah well i think just about anybody probably would be more of more of a pure point guard hey come on now i think colin was 51st among point guards and assists last year so that means there were 30 to 35 point guards at worst and and, and he was and he was probably like 20th in minutes too yeah that's probably right uh um um, but yeah, that's interesting you say that about Garland. I mean, I think he never averaged a ton of assists. I mean, in his short time at Vanderbilt, you know, I, uh, he, he didn't average a ton of assists, but it, it seems like from what you're saying that there's more hope for him. Yeah as a playmaker i mean i think you know he doesn't to me have that same athletic burst that lillard has especially when he was younger you know that just explosive move to his left you know he's not garland's not really like gonna go up and dunk on people or you know right. lillard would even have tip right. dunks but i think i think just in terms of the style of play the the shot selection you know that's a a reasonable comparison to me i think you know garland kind of plays with a little bit more pace a little bit more craftiness to the dribble in some of his ISO moves, maybe are at the same age. I mean, because remember, Dame at this point was you know finishing up his uh, freshman year at Weber State or starting his sophomore year mm-hmm. at Weber State. Let's talk about Sexton now. Clearly, one of the absolute worst players in the NBA for four months last year. The defense never really got much better, as you mentioned. That is just not something that he was prepared to do. He has some physical skills; he can pressure up a little bit, but you know, in terms of recognition, getting over screens, you know, he, he was terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but and he was taking a ton of long twos, which he was actually hitting okay. And then, you know, around the all-star break, somehow he just starts taking all these threes. He hits 40% from three for the year, like gets a much more analytically friendly shot profile. And all of a sudden, like this guy looks like he could be a quality starting point guard in the league after really, really struggling. So what what the hell happened? <laughs> I think a couple of things happened. One, he got snubbed from the Rising Stars game. His word, not mine. Uh, although I think... You- <laughs> I think you could make yeah. an argument well, that well, he probably uh, uh, should have been there over Kevin Knox, by the way. Uh, yeah, no, I, yeah, you might might be able to make. Although I think point guard might have been like a little deeper of a position, perhaps. Yeah. I can't remember who that who that was in that game. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, yeah, and then he also got snubbed from first team all yes, rookie, much to the chagrin 
of the Cavaliers PR department. By the way, despite the fact that he was fifth in rookie of the year voting and just yeah, votes. which uh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, um, um, I don't think he should have been fifth in rookie of the year voting, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think he, I don't think that was a snub either. I think there was a lot of good rookies last year, and and he had a good a good couple of months offensively. But but anyway, sorry, you, you're explaining how how that led to uh, this uh, this improvement in shot selection. Yeah, so that was part of it. The other part of it was people were on him about it, saying, "Hey, man, step back." Step step beyond the three-point line if you yeah, can people being in the, in the organization in the organization coaches yeah. on the staff uh yeah i mean I, I don't think i mean early on in the season i just think things were moving so fast for colin and look point guard is one of the hardest positions to play in any team sport you know it might be the hardest it might be right up there with playing quarterback in the nfl because there's just so much on you right you have to get the team in the offense you have to know your opponent really really well the ball in your hands constantly and then you talk about the high level players that you're going up against on a nightly basis it's like it just keeps coming and coming and coming so i just think things were moving so fast for him that maybe he didn't even realize some of these things that he was actually doing um but he got better at that he worked his tail off he was the hardest worker on the team i had somebody in the organization tell me that throughout the course of one week uh, nine thousand shots were taken in the facility and they do have the um yeah like those the technology camera tracking that tracks yeah. this sort of thing so nine thousand shots were taken in the facility in one week and colin took three thousand and that was like a normal thing for him on a weekly basis they actually joked with him the organization at one point nate they joked with him last year about getting more hobbies because all he did was play basketball and they wanted him off his feet a little bit so that he could recover more and more and more there were times that they would play a game at seven o'clock or something like that and he was at the practice facility that same night after midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock, texting his agent saying, I'm here getting shots up. So that work, obviously, it translated to him being better in the second half of the season. I think the return of Kevin Love, him being healthy, I think that really helped Colin as well. Oh, yeah. Because not as much was demanded of him. And Kevin is the kind of player that makes things easier on the guys around him. And he did a lot for the Cavs offensively. Um, so I think that played into it as well. And I just think the evolution of a young player, the hope is that you're better at the end of the season than you are at the beginning of the season. And I think Colin just started figuring some things out in the second half. Yeah, I think it would be difficult for me to say that he's going to be able, you know, that the end of last year is the starting point for a baseline for, for this year and that he can improve off of that. I mean, that right. really was some hot shooting. So that's, that's, and I mean, 40% from the NBA three point line on 280 ish attempts, you know, there, that wasn't something that necessarily was even in his skill set from in college. And, you know, the, obviously the NBA line is a lot longer and people have a lot of difficulty adjusting that. Now, I mean, if he's shooting 40% from three, with some of the ball skills that he has even with some of the limited passing like you got a player there i mean that that's just and even if he does struggle defensively like this is a, a guy who could be really good and maybe even then he w might end up profiling as more of kind of like you know a lou williams type of bench score than maybe your starting point guard uh if he's gonna have these distribution and defensive limitations um but no i mean i think to 
to go from where he was looking like just an awful bust to that is pretty remarkable i mean that's that to me is one of the most interesting questions of the season to me is like how is he going to shoot the ball this year and then you know he obviously has other places he could take steps forward right i mean only 57 percent around the rim hopefully with love healthy they'll have better spacing i mean that was another problem for this team like they're you know they're playing zizich and nance together you know like some some of these lineups thompson is not a shooter like they didn't have a ton of spacing in addition to uh you know not having uh, a ton of scores um one thing he was actually surprisingly good at was turnovers he didn't turn it over that much i guess when you never pass it's harder to turn the ball over because that's how you get a lot of passes but yeah, yeah i mean that's the, the vision to me i mean we don't need to spend much more time on him but the the vision to me of just and i think his shooting percentage at the rim can really improve I mean, he had like 25 percent usage last year his shooting percentage at the rim can really improve if on those drives he just is able to find people and instead of going up with like some real no hoper shots i thought particularly early in the season he was just driving into traffic trying these shots where he's just going into the body of nba bigs that you're just not going to finish over instead of just like trying to trying to find someone i thought he improved incrementally there as the season went along and you know what nate i was asking john beeline the other day just about colin and how he views him and john beeline's response to me essentially was i don't view him as somebody who is either a point or a two like i'm not going to pigeonhole him as one or the other i just think he's a guard I think he has a scorer's mentality. I think he's a scoring guard, and he's still learning how to get his teammates involved. He's only 20 years old. He's always been asked to kind of be the leading scorer wherever he's been because he's always been the most talented yeah. guy. And he's yeah, able the, to the famous three-on-five game in college is probably, probably like yeah, your exactly biggest right. example of that. Yeah. And if we're looking at the Portland model, and that's kind of what the Cavs are hoping for, and they've also brought up Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, and some of the success that they were sure. able to have is a non-traditional backcourt as well. But if we're looking at the Portland model, I mean, Collins going to be more C.J. McCollum than he's going to be Dame. And C.J. McCollum has averaged, I think, three assists per game once in his career in the NBA. Yeah. And I think it was last year. So Yeah, I think Collin can do a little more distribution than C.J. because of his athleticism. He can get on top of the rim and force help. You know, yep. he, he can get more penetration, whereas C.J. is kind of working more in the mid-range. Um, so if you had to predict it now, do you think uh, Sexton and Garland start in the backcourt on opening night? I do. Um, yeah. The only thing that gives me pause is there was a time last year when Ty Lue was still around before he got fired where he wanted to take things really, really slow with Colin. He didn't want to throw too much at him too soon, and they were going to try and bring him off the bench, and they had a veteran that they could rely on that Colin could lean on, and they could say, Colin, try and emulate this guy or learn from this guy in George Hill. And I'm wondering if John B line is going to look at Darius and say I don't want to put him in there too soon demand too much for him I really really like Brandon Knight Brandon Knight knows the offense really really well Brandon has compared this offense to what he did in Milwaukee and what he did at the University of Kentucky so that would be the only question I have is does John Beeline want Darius Garland to be his starting point guard on night one I think if you're just going based on talent and how the offense would run I think Darius Garland is the best pure point guard, most talented pure point guard that the Cavs have on this roster. It's just, do you want to put him in there that soon? Yeah, oh, that's interesting that you say that because... Uh, I would have thought the candidate would be you start Sexton at the one and Clarkson 
at the two that it'd be between Clarkson uh, and Garland. But you think it's more uh, Knight? I think it's more uh, Knight. If, if the Cavs decide, I, he, he better be able to Darius beat out Brandon Collin. Knight. I, I he, think he, the other thing, Nate, is yeah. John Beeline has even said it. Jordan Clarkson is a prototypical six man, and he loves his energy coming off the bench and yeah. his ability to go get a bucket. Yeah, no, I, I think that's kind of. It seems more and more that that Clarkson is moving to that role. He is an expiring contract at the twelve point five million, yep. and and maybe that's the thing to talk about next year. You know, we haven't mentioned Kevin Love much. 30 age 30 season last year he had the toe injury only ended up playing 598 minutes last year you know a typical starter is probably going to play in the 2000 range so you know he didn't really come back until after the all-star break they gave him that 30 million dollar a year extension that actually didn't even start until this year and it kind of fluctuates around a little bit in terms of the value but it's about 30 million a year so he's got four years left now at 30 million a year um where is he in his career now do you do you think i mean is he still capable of playing at a, a, a at least an eastern conference all-star level if not like a real all <laughs> conference all-star level um and then also you know what are the prospects that he gets moved so last year when he was on the court they had an offensive rating the Cavs did as a team of right around one third with him off the court their offensive rating was 107 and i know it's a really small sample size because he only really played um 20 plus games and for the first i'd say four five six of those he like wasn't himself either he yeah. was dealing with the injury or oh yeah because that was back. that was before the surgery right, right that was like right. early in the he early the in the season four, yeah. then he decided to shut it down so those first four kind of throw him out the window essentially and then the first couple when he returned from the surgery you know he wasn't right either so obviously very small sample size but but he showed last year the kind of impact that he can have on this team and the Cavs still feel like he's a kind of guy that makes everybody around him better um they also believe that in this system with john beeline with the spacing that they're going to have and how they're going to use kevin that he's going to have a quote-unquote monster that's what they believe they have no regrets about the contract that they signed him to they want him here kevin wants to be here so i think they would have to be blown away by an offer nate around the trade deadline to move on from kevin because there are so many things that he brings to this organization both in the short term and in the long term that they they're not going to be able to replicate with anybody. It's like, for example, Kevin was texting with Colin Sexton all summer. And Kevin told me that part of the reason why he did that is because he didn't have a lot of time with Colin last year. So he wanted to form that relationship, right? He just checked in on him. How are you doing? Are you making sure you're getting your rest? Are you eating right? Are you doing this? Like showing leadership type things. He also organized the pre-camp workouts for a second year in a row. And the Cavs are like, if Kevin doesn't do those kinds of things, like who in our organization is going to do those things. Kevin tries to be the first one on the practice floor. He tries to be the first one in the weight room, just kind of setting the daily tone for this organization. So I think you can define value a lot of different ways. And the Cavs have found value in Kevin, the person, Kevin, the teammate, as much as Kevin, the on-court power forward. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. I mean, that's, it's certainly... It's also 30 million a year until he's 34 is a lot to pay for that. Um, but you know, he could have been a free agent this offseason. I mean, I think it's, it, you know, it's for cap dorks like me it's been assumed all right he's just going to get traded you know this is that that was the point of this um they may not have the option to do that i think the longer they wait the more those options could be foreclosed i mean i, I still always worry about kevin's health too sure. you know i think i think if he's gonna play 70 games 
he's probably a little bit overpaid at that 30 million a year because of his defensive limitations i mean he can't really he can't guard the four because he's too slow and he's a you know a really uh undersized five who can't protect the rim at all mm-hmm. but you know he kind of just has to play there by default i mean you know some of the is- same issues they had back in the lebron days and those haven't alleviated with you know another couple of years of mileage e- either um but i i think offensively you know he does make things easy he's the one shooter on this team that you really need to fear and he is at the big position he has the ability to post up i was a little concerned that his two-point percentage last year was like 41 percent you know that's a, he's kind of either threes or kind of bs get to the line you know use the tricks instead of actually like really just being able to beat his guy and score at this point but you know that, i mean as a support player i think he's still a very good offensive player you know he's not i don't think he could be the centerpiece maybe the way he was in minnesota necessarily anymore um so yeah i i think it's uh it's going to be interesting. I mean, my biggest fear for him is just that, you know, once again, you know, he's had these knee surgeries. He's had, he just had so many issues that, you know, if he misses 40 games again this year, they will have missed any kind of window they would have had to get value. I mean, when you think of a big offer that they'd be looking for, I'm guessing that's probably more than just, you know, a pick in the 20s and salary relief, right? Like that right. It would take more than that. Right. So they yeah. would want a combination of picks and young ascending players. And it's been brought up to me a few different times in conversations with people inside the organization. When I bring up Kevin and his future, uh, they bring up the Tobias Harris trade with Philadelphia. That kind of deal. Yeah, that seems uh, a little optimistic, I, I would say. Um, but, you know, I mean, this is also their rebuilding team. They're not going to be, as you mentioned, probably free agent players. I mean, they can go into the bad money game starting this summer when they should have about 33 million in space we'll see what ends up happening with uh jay osmond and a potential either extension or a new contract in restricted free agency and then you know they're gonna have plenty of flexibility going forward even with this 30 million on the books that's likely to be the only salary that's above 20 million for them so you can say hey it's not the end of the world that we keep this guy around and you know maybe kevin love is close to a hall of famer someday and maybe he goes in 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 a Cavs jersey and you know there's not that huge of an opportunity cost because this is going to be such a lengthy rebuild for these guys i mean the concern maybe is 2022 if they're ready to start making the playoffs again they want to add a starter or two in free agency they uh, that could be difficult but yeah it's definitely it's not the end of the world to have this contract but i do think you know they it would also be nice to have a draft pick and get it while you can because he's probably not going to be helping you on the court the next time you're ready to actually compete a a little bit Um, i think there are two other layers to this though nate sure Um, one obviously kevin's the most valuable trade chip that they have if they want to go that direction but yeah that that they could realistically move at least i mean i think sexton or garland obviously would have more but but they're not moving them but the Cavs yeah. feel like they could probably acquire other picks in other ways. And yeah. their expiring contracts, they have five of them. Brandon Knight, Tristan Thompson, Jordan Clarkson, John Henson, Matthew Dellavedova. So they feel like if they want to get picks in the future, that's the other avenue they can explore. And the second thing is they do not like this free agency class coming up at all. People around the NBA yeah. don't like this free agency class coming up at all. Yeah, that's so, interesting, actually, because I think for them 
it could make more sense to at least try to make some restricted free agent offer sheets. I think it's actually already have that money to do that. They're going to have 50 million already. Yeah. I mean, I guess, but, but in the scenario you're talking about where, I mean, they've got, I've got them projected at 33 right now. Um, but if you, if you trade Tim, Tristan Thompson, right. you take back longer term money. Now you've kind of vaporized that and you're not going to make, you know, more than maybe a $10 million a year right. offer sheet. But you know, uh, that said, I mean, this is kind of not because the free agency class isn't that great. And because there aren't necessarily that many bad contracts out there that they could take on that go much beyond 2020 although that may change with some of these recent free agent signings as they start to look bad but uh you know this isn't a great time to be in the hey we'll take on your assets for longer bad contracts um so all right let's uh let's do like quick hitters here 30 seconds or so on some of these guys we haven't had a chance to talk about yet just how they fit into the rotation what their skill set's gonna be um let's start with uh larry nance who who they gave uh an extension to that kicks in this year amazingly um at uh basically 11 million a year so two things larry has been working all off season on extending his range and his ball handling as well he feels like he's going to get more freedom to shoot from the outside and he also feels like shooting from the outside is going to force defenders to close in on him more and then he's going to be able to make some plays off the bounce nance was one of the Cavs' highest in terms of assists per game last year which is unbelievable to think about but he was <laughs> yeah. and that goes to show like they didn't have a lot of ball movement they didn't have a lot of creators they didn't have a lot of good passers so they're going to look for larry to be the prototypical stretch four in his evolution probably somebody who's going to come off the bench and replace kevin love when kevin goes to the bench but that's his role stretch four shoot more threes he showed a little bit of that last year and be a playmaker for this team um he also said that one of his goals is to lead the nba or be close to the league lead in steal okay good good luck with that last part um but that's uh and i mean he's and he's kind of like comfortably below average but not atrocious defensively that's kind of how i think of him i think that's fair and and yeah. i mean i think to your point it it shows you how poor the Cavs are defensively because he's probably one of their best individually uh jetty osman yeah so jetty is tough because he had a breakout year last year obviously highs across the board and i think one of the questions that the Cavs have internally nate is okay how much more ceiling is there for jetty based on what he did last year obviously they want him to be a better defender um they want him to be a more reliable outside shooter um but i think he's going to get some opportunities to attack as well in like a playmaking three type role in the Cavs offense the three and the four they feel like is pretty close to interchangeable and they're asking for those guys to do some of the same things from a skill set standpoint so i think jetty's going to start the year as the starter at the three um but look they drafted dylan windler and they drafted kevin porter jr and they're probably going to take some minutes at that three spot as well so the question is yes jetty is a core piece of this team moving forward but is he like a six man is he a seventh man is he an eight man in rotation or is he a starter when we finally get good and i just don't think anybody has the answer to that yet yeah i like his feel for moving without the ball i like the way he can get out in transition like you said he's a developing shooter but you know he's taken strides in that area since he he was a prospect in turkey but you know i was certainly troubled by 
your statement that he was one of the worst defensive players in the NBA is that is that your assessment or no. is that kind of their internal assessment as well? That's number one, their internal assessment, and that's what the numbers show too. I mean, if you look yeah. at any individual metric, he's right there near the bottom. So he has to get so much better on that end of the floor, especially when you're talking about the guys that he's going to be defending on a nightly basis. You know, because yeah. the Cavs are not going to be able to use their two guard, whoever it could be, to guard that perimeter-oriented scorer for the other team because that would either be Colin Sexton or Darius Garland. So that, when you're talking about Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James, that, that has to fall on Jetty in the kind of alignment yeah. that the Cavs are going to have. So that's and, and if you're starting Kevin Love at the four, he can't do that either. You know, you, this isn't a team that, that right. has, you know, a Jamichael Green type at the four right. who can take on those kind of assignments. So yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's a little troubling. You know, it's not, uh, I, I wouldn't look at him as necessarily a wing stopper uh i mean yeah it's just if you look at these guys and just like their perimeter defense you know david duava is not here anymore and obviously right. he was really limited offensively so yeah you're uh it's tough to come up with who uh, their best perimeter defender is i mean that's why i think it still is going to be pretty tough for them mm-hmm. um Kevin Porter Jr. and Dylan Windler uh, taken with the 30th and 26th overall picks, respectively, this year. So Dylan, um, before training camp started, the Cavs were looking at Dylan as possibly the backup to Jetty Osman at the three, maybe even playing some four in certain lineups. He was going to be the mover, the spacer, the knockdown shooter, giving the Cavs the kind of element that they didn't have last year. They felt like there were some assist opportunities that Colin Sexton and some of these other guys had. Um, but they didn't have enough good shooters around those guys to actually have those turn into assists. And Dylan was supposed to be that kind of guy, but he's going to miss all of training camp, all of the preseason, and he might miss the beginning of the regular season with a stress reaction in his leg. So it's a huge setback, and that's going to be tough for him to you know, get his legs underneath him in regular season game action. So I think the Cavs are disappointed about that. I think Dylan is disappointed about that, but that opens up the door for somebody like Kevin Porter Jr., who has been termed like the quote-unquote wild card guy, who could be really, really great, but is also 19 years old and needs to learn how to be a pro and needs to learn how to play within structure and all those different things. Um, it could open the door for him to get more minutes early, um, at least quicker than a lot of people probably expected a few months ago. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of to me more of like a two than a three. I mean, there's a lot of teams that have this problem, obviously. And, right. You know, with Garland and Sexton, I mean, I think you know Del Vadova, I think is still provides an important element for this team as like passing and actually like competing defensively. You know, I think you know, uh, if you're thinking that Knight is is going to play uh, as well, and he's even in the mix to start at the one, you know, it is kind of hard. And then Clarkson as well. I mean, they're they've actually got you know so, some decent depth at the one and the two it's mm-hmm. just you know that three position guess what when you lose the greatest small forward of all time it's kind of hard to replace him as, as it turns out um what's gonna happen at center so my feeling is um going into training camp nate there was a battle between tristan thompson and john henson um but but i think they're the Cavs are probably going to land on Tristan as the starting center and Henson is the primary backup. But but I think the Cavs feel like those guys are close to interchangeable in terms of if we start John, that's fine because we're going to add some spacing and we're going to add some rim protection. But if we start Tristan, that's fine too because he's a better screen setter. He works 
well with Darius Garland and Colin Sexton from that standpoint. He's going to get us second chance opportunities, and he's going to be the vocal leader offensively and defensively because Kevin's one of the leaders of this team as well, but he's not as vocal as Tristan. So I think the Cavs would feel good going either direction, and those are the two primary bigs. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we did see a little bit of Henson at least spacing out to the corner through yep. even a little above the break uh in Mike Budenholzer's system that obviously had the the wrist injury and ended up getting salary dumped to the Cavs um yeah I mean I, I think Henson is probably gives them a, a better element although Thompson maybe defensively is a little bit better of a fit next to love because uh, although you know I'm kind of thinking still in my mind of the Tristan Thompson of like three years ago right. in the finals you know he probably doesn't have that same level of mobility anymore um you know those two guys were able to fit together okay defensively because Thompson could get on the floor is, is he still capable of doing that or is he kind of a little more a little slower these days so I think we're gonna find out Nate he was yeah. not healthy last year okay yeah. we'll or the year there. before he had that that calf injury exactly that really, right. like, or the year before year. Yeah. And he had um, more time off this summer than he had had in four years because they didn't go to the finals. They didn't go to the playoffs. So it's two extra months to allow his body to recover. And from everything that I've heard, he has been one of the standouts in training camp. So has John Henson. John Henson, because he brings an element that the Cavs haven't had at the five position, somebody who can knock down shots and protect the rim at the same time. And Tristan, just with his mobility, with his energy, with his enthusiasm, he's trying to extend his range. In fact, he bopped John Beeline in the head accidentally because they celebrated after Tristan went 15 of 20 from three-point range in a post-practice shooting session. They are so excited that John Beeline actually caught an elbow to the forehead and he's got a big <laughs> knot on his forehead. Um, so Tristan's trying. He's trying to evolve his game. Um, and, and I do think the time off this summer and being healthy is going to allow him to do some of those things that you were talking about switching on to guards keeping up from a mobility standpoint and being the active Tristan that you remember from the NBA finals a couple years ago yeah and he's got a lot on the line year uh walk year also if he wants to get traded to a contender it might help to look pretty good I always do kind of wonder about these teams especially who are bad defensive teams and guys like oh yeah these guys look great in camps like yeah you know they're also they're going against these guys who are like really bad defensively you know like there's uh I think that Marquise Chris on the Warriors is looking really good yeah. right now because they, they have nobody who can defend. Um, yeah, who knows? Maybe he'll, he'll turn out okay. But um, all right, let's uh, let's get into some predictions here uh, about this group. Um, first of all, I guess, first of all, who do you think is going to close games for them when everyone's healthy? So it would probably be Darius colin jetty love and then i go back and forth on tristan or john henson based on are they looking for more spacing on the court at the time and if that's the case they would probably go with john henson um but but i think probably what looks to be close to the starting lineup the the other thing i would say is there's a chance that jordan clarkson finishes games for them as the three man instead of jetty osman as the three man you think we'll see love at center at all this year yeah so i was talking to somebody about that the other night, Nate, and and because everything is so new, um, this system where guys are spaced on the floor, um, the things that they're asking some of their guys to do. Uh, 
I don't think they want that to be early on for Kevin. I do yeah. think they have plans to play Kevin at the five. I think they really like Kevin at the five, but they're, I don't think they're going to do that early on in the season until people are more comfortable in this offense before you start introducing new different elements besides the base stuff. So I would look maybe November, December before something like that would happen. Well, and it's just tough too because you don't really, they don't even have a three, not to mention a three who really can capably step up to the four. I mean, I guess that lineup would be, you know, Osman at the four, Clarkson at the three. I mean, you're just so undersized there but maybe they're just they can't stop anybody anyway so mm-hmm. you think hey let's just put our best offensive lineup on the floor we're just going to suck defensively regardless yeah um, and it also use, yeah they're going to use clarkson at the three that is definitely yeah. in their plan and they feel comfortable about that basically what i was told the other day is if a if like we're downsizing and fours are playing fives right and and threes are playing as fours why can't twos play as threes yeah we'll find out yeah and, and i do think if you just if this season is a lot about development Mm -hmm. that you know henson thompson i mean those guys are not really good offensive centers and so if you want to just say hey we want to put garland and sexton in the best situation to succeed offensively yeah you know what like we're the defense is gonna be good but it's not gonna be good anyway Mm -hmm. love it the five seems like the best way to do that for me certainly i understand there are massive defensive limitations there but love basically has to be a five defensively even when he's playing with another big a lot of times um because he's just too slow to to get out in the perimeter i think it, at this point so it's uh it, maybe you're not compromising your defense as much if it's you know john henson is gonna have to be guarding a stretch four on the other team and love protects the paint anyway so it's, right. you know i mean it, it was the problem they had back when they were really good that the fit defensively around love even though he's a very good player now it doesn't matter as much because you know that they're, they're competing in a a, a different strata um all right let's do uh let's do our predicted records here for the cavaliers um i'll go first okay so i i always do my offensive tiers and my defensive tiers uh i have them projected as the number 30 defense in the nba again i do think you know if thompson could be a little bit better that can help maybe henson can help Sexton will have at least a, a year under his belt. I don't know how much Del Vadova is going to play, but he can at least execute the system and try hard. But you're also bringing in yet another rookie point guard in Garland. He's going to suck defensively. Uh, you know, Brandon Knight isn't any good. Clarkson is uh, not that great. If Windler and Porter play, they're going to really struggle as well. And those guys are all going to play too. I mean, this isn't like a situation. And especially as the year goes on, those guys are going to play. They're not at a point where they're just going to like play the absolute best guys all year. They need to see what they have in these guys. So, uh, you know, I think there's also the possibility of some trades as well or buyouts. So I don't, I mean, I'm not going to predict them to be the worst defense of all time. Uh, I'll predict them to improve to merely being the worst defense in the league. There you this go. Year. They were the worst defense of all time last year. So that is an improvement. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and, you know, I, I could see them being 28th or something. I mean, I think there's a solid bottom five teams that I see in defense like New York, Atlanta, Phoenix, Washington. I mean, there's going to be some bad defenses at the bottom of the league this year um and then offensively you know i still kind of have them in like the 25 range i think they have some talent and love obviously can really help but 
you know i think you had to project him to miss probably 25 games and they're kind of and while they have guys who can do stuff on the ball they don't have anyone on the perimeter with a track record of scoring with any kind of an above average efficiency they don't really have any knockdown shooters other than love either and i think having love out there can really help them i think when he's on the floor they might be able to you know approach kind of being a the 20th ranked offense or something like that um that number that you cited with him on the floor last year was really good um and you know maybe sexton takes a huge step forward and garland is awesome right away that i I feel less confident in my prediction about the offense and the defense but i still think they're going to be in the 20s offensively so um any any comment on that before i actually try and translate that into some wins no i think that's about right and to your point I just don't think there's a defensive lineup that they could throw out there where you're saying, okay, you know what I mean? No. <laughs> like, okay, now we're focused on defense with this five-man lineup. It just doesn't exist for them. So I think they're going to have to play predominantly offensive-minded yeah. lineups by default. Yeah, and then offensively, though, I do think you know they're going to play two traditional bigs pretty much all the time. And when Love is not on the floor, that means you're going to have Nance and either thompson or henson probably i mean maybe it'll be nance and love together but uh you know and nance i'll I'll believe the three-point shooting when it comes around like he's been trying to add that since his rookie year with the lakers so i'm I'm not going to believe that that's going to happen until it does that he's really going to be a a high volume threat from out there and so that's going to really compromise your spacing in addition to the fact that you don't have these efficient primer guys And, and you know i think guys like windler uh um kevin porter you know i think porter is going to have a really low efficiency kind of gunner season um so you know it's just going to be tough to really pop up above 20 uh, uh, offensively um so i guess with all that said i picked them for under 24 and a half wins i think i'll go right at 24 wins for these guys So what I go back you? to last year. They went 19 and 63, and they missed Kevin for 60 games, and he was the most important player. He was the guy that they couldn't afford to lose, and they knew it. They knew it all along. They had a coaching change after the first six weeks. There was the old guard versus the new guard stuff going on in the locker room up until about November. Um, they were playing Jerron Blossom game and Jalen Jones and Andrew Harrison like big minutes because they missed more games to injury than any other team. Team other than the Denver Nuggets last year. They were right there with the Memphis Grizzlies. So um, I look at that and I say, okay, um, they're going to go up from 19 and 63. They're going to have to because I don't think Kevin's going to miss 60 games for them. Um, defensively, I think they're going to be terrible again, Nate. I just don't think there's a lot that they can do. Yeah. I think schematically they're probably going to be better and is probably going to make sense because J.P. Bickerstaff I think is a better defensive-minded coach than Mike Longabardi, who was in charge of the defense last year offensively i think they're going to be better than they were last year because of kevin love i'm expecting him to play more than he did last year and i think darius garland is going to be one of the most exciting rookies out there and i think his potential to give the Cavs a pure point guard or more of a pure point guard and a distributor you can just see it you can just see what that could look like as opposed to what it did look like last year with colin sexton who isn't that kind of guy and that's okay he doesn't have to be that kind of guy so i think they're probably going to be right around 20 in terms of offense and i just i think it's going to be hard for them to consistently win games because they're relying on so much youth so much inexperience there is so much new it's a new language larry nance jr was joking the other day that he was calling out calls from last year because they were called one thing last year and now they're called something different this year with john beeline so it's just i think it's going to be hard 
hard for them to consistently win with all of this new around them, especially early. So I think the over-under is 25 and a half this year. Um, yeah, t- 24 is what, I, is what I saw, but okay. yeah, I mean, it varies from place to place. So I think that's right about where it should be. I would say yeah. they probably get to 26 wins this year. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's that's quite possible you know I, I don't have like an amazing feel for this group i i'll be honest i did i probably you know after the all-star break i try to focus a little bit more on the teams that are going to be playoff teams sure. and that aren't just totally playing out the screen so you know i caught a couple of sexton's big games but i other than that it was not focusing too much on these guys so it, it's i'm actually really look forward to watching garland trying to get a feel for these guys mm-hmm. early in the season and you know if they are going to exceed expectations one number you can look at negative 4.2 net rating with kevin love on the court you know if he if he actually makes it through 75 games uh you know they probably do end up hitting the over or if he doesn't get traded uh if their demands are really that high he probably doesn't frankly um you know he may have more value to the Cavs than he has to other teams but you know even if you look at all right negative 4.2 with kevin love on the floor but he is only on the floor for you know 40 percent of the minutes this season and then they're going to really struggle especially offensively i think with him off the floor also he's like he's really important to me from a passing perspective as well you know other than you, you have high hopes for garland but other than that love is really the only decent passer on the whole roster yeah you know, i guess nance was the other one you pointed to a little bit yeah but, i think delavadova yeah. is too oh yeah yeah that's true yeah i mean i, I mean do you think he's gonna play at all real quickly i do yeah, yeah. i think he's going to be the primary backup point guard mm-hmm. okay well so so if knight might start and there's garland and there's delavadova like somebody's got to be the odd man out there well here's the thing like they like all of their guards those those five that are a cluster and part of the reason why they're looking at playing jordan clarkson at the three is so that they can play those other guards it's an imbalanced roster they have too many guards and they have too many centers and not enough wings but yeah that's a lot of teams (laughs) wings wings are uh exactly right yeah look nate i think best case scenario for the Cavs this year is that they're very atlanta ish from last year where yeah. even though Atlanta only won 29 games, there was a good vibe around them because of some of this stuff that happened individually. And if Darius Garland can be in the rookie of the year conversation like Trey Young and look like he's worth the fifth overall pick, and Dylan Windler shows that he can be a rotational player the way that Kevin Herter did for Atlanta, and Kevin Porter Jr. shows the talent that has the Cavs thinking that he was one of the 10 most talented players in the draft, just flashes of that kind of thing at 19 years years old then i think and john beeline's system looks like it's one that will work in the nba then i think the Cavs can look at the season and say yeah despite the fact that we didn't win a bunch of games there were still some other things that point to success moving forward next year the year after the year after that yeah i totally agree with you and i think if you want to just talk about on court this season maybe beeline system just you know he turns out to be a genius or something and that adds you a couple of wins but i think the best case for me probably about 28 wins for these guys i really don't see how they could possibly get to 30 with the defense being so bad i agree it'd be Um, really really tough there's just yeah they're going to demand so much from their offense on a nightly basis to win games and that's really really tough to do especially when you're talking about young guys that you're relying on too and darius garland colin sexton probably jetty osman to carry you know a big chunk of the scoring load aside from kevin love yeah and worst case scenario 
uh, I would go with 18 wins. I mean, they could even <laughs> theoretically be worse than, I mean, if Love misses time or he gets traded, all these vets get bought out or just to yeah. get totally minimized. I mean, if you're playing Kevin Porter, big minutes, yeah. I mean, he's just, he'll be probably, I mean, I think he has some potential. I like the pick at 30, but just given how raw he is and how inefficient he was even in college, you know, he, he could be a Kevin Knoxian type of like, you know, one of the worst players in the NBA. They could get in into a point where again, they have to bring in some kind of more G league type of players to play around Sexton and Garland. Garland could really show he could get hurt again too. Mm-hmm um sexton doesn't you know last year was a mirage at the end of the season and he's right. more like the player that he looked like at the beginning um so i mean there's there's still a lot of things that could go wrong uh, for sure sounds like you're not quite that low on them as a worst case scenario. so i think worst case scenario and this is probably not what you're looking at but i'm going yeah. to take it a different way worst case scenario for this group is losing their protected top 10 pick and hovering around a spot oh, where you don't want them to be well and i guess that's something that's going to be a potential downward drag i mean because you right. can in theory you, know, you can be as much as i think it's uh four slots lower than your number now the, the chances as you get worse and or as you get better in record of teams jumping you gets a lot lower but yeah if they are better i think we will definitely see a little bit and also i mean remember what happened to them last year too i mean they still were the number two seed in the lottery but they got down to number five mm-hmm. and i think some teams are forgetting that they're like oh yeah taking doesn't do any good because the first three slots are all the same you know that 14 percent chance of getting the top pick but you still limit your downside risk by being bad at the end so i think that's something that again that could be a little bit of a downward drag mm-hmm. for them but that's a good point you know i that i never even occurred to me <laughs> that they could lose <laughs> that top 10 protected pick but uh yeah that is something to to keep in mind so thanks thanks for pointing that out um all right well this has been awesome uh thanks so much for joining us uh i owe you a good dinner when you are in the bay area next time uh, for coming on sounds Um, good man i'll take you up on that for sure yeah where can we uh keep up with your stuff throughout the season yep you can check it all out cleveland.com slash calves and of course i try and keep people up to date on social media as well at chris fedor and there's an interesting thing that we're doing at cleveland.com as well nate where people can sign up to be a text group member and i send them daily texts information analysis observations things that i'm hearing that i don't always put on twitter so they can sign up for that at projecttext.com which is very fun oh yeah that sounds that's an interesting concept i haven't heard of anyone do it so it's it's almost like a private yep. private tweets that they're getting essentially yeah it's like my yeah. subscribers are kind of like my buddies i just text with them throughout the course of the game or when i wake up in the morning or something like that okay they can't text you back though can they of course absolutely. oh they can really oh, oh yeah so we interact all the time oh wow okay so so but you you would just like you like log in and you you look at it like when you have time yep, and you, and exactly you right yeah, that, yeah that's a cool feature and uh it's good. i mean anything that anybody can do to monetize content like i'm all for it in today's day and age um and, and that's that's a creative uh creative one all right well thanks again for joining us uh, this was fun you got it man anytime across america bp supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing jobs like updating turbines at one of our indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the gulf of mexico it's and not or see what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com investing in america